This is the Skate Podcast on WEEI.com. Bobby Orr, behind the net, the Sanderson, the Bobby Orr! For the first time in 39 years, the Boston Bruins have won the Stanley Cup. Talking Bruins and NHL. Sure, old-time hockey. Like it is sure. With writer and producer Brian DeFelice. Brian DeFelice is an emerging talent. Bridget Prude. Yeah, he's a little bit on the hot seat. Burn him! And WEEI.com Bruins writer Scott McLaughlin. Oh, great stuff. Lace him up for some beast talk right now. I'm looking at a It's the Skate Pod on WEEI. Welcome into episode 165 of the Skate Podcast. I'm Brian DeFelice, joined by Bridget Pru and Scott McLaughlin. Pretty special day at the Garden this afternoon. Bruins honor David Krejci for his 1,000th career NHL game, all with Boston. Obviously, his 1,000th game was a few weeks back, I believe, but uh, obviously the ceremony was today. And uh, really, just a really special ceremony for him. You know, Patrice Bergeron gets a lot of recognition, and rightfully so, over the years. I just felt like today was a... A nice day for Krejci to be recognized uh, in a Bruins win to top it all off. Yeah, and then, you know, a nice video with a bunch of current former teammates, um, including Yarmir Yager, obviously, uh, you know, fellow countryman, legend uh, of Czechia, and very briefly a Boston Bruin. Um, but yeah, that, the whole ceremony was nice. He got, you know, the, the usual... Uh, silver stick that guys get for their 1000th game um you know a few other things uh bergeron marchand and Pasenak were all part of the ceremony and all out there you know taking pictures his family was out there obviously uh he got you know a nice painting from the bruins organization um so yeah uh, you know think bruins always do these things well and obviously they've had a you know a few of them recently now uh and yeah this one was it was nice to see and, you know, obviously good ovation from the crowd and crazy gave a little acknowledgement. We know he's not, you know, the most comfortable having the spotlight on him, but uh, yeah, it was a, it was a good time Monday. Yeah. Yeah. And, and DeBrusque after the game said he was trying to sneak in the background of all the crazy pictures that would Bergeron and pasta so that he could always be in, in the back of those pictures whenever they're put up or he said Krejci will always have to see me back there um, but yeah and you want to know what else I liked pregame and I almost felt like you know it was so good let's just end it here go home no need to play a game was um after the Krejci ceremony Todd Angeli effed up the national <laughs> I was laughing so hard that I started crying I didn't I don't know why it was that like it was that funny to me but he started it threw him off. He forgot he had to sing Oh Canada. And then he started and then was like, time out, redo. So just to defend Todd real quick, because I went back and watched it, Ron Polster, the the organist, actually started playing the Star Spangled Banner um, prematurely. And you yeah. can see in Todd's face, he's like, what am I supposed to do here? And so he starts, and then that's, so it actually wasn't Todd's fault. He actually kept himself together really well, but it was definitely a, a uh, uh, a funny moment at the garden. I was dying. I, and, and you want to know what? He did handle it well. Cause then he just, he got a full like ovation when he restarted. They're like, okay, no, you got this. You got this. Well, th- then he nailed it. Like the, yeah. both of them felt like there was, there's was some extra energy there. And it's like, you know, it's one of those things where it's, you know, people respond, respond to adversity and make up for mistakes in different ways. And uh, again, I think the thing we learned that Todd, he's the kind of guy who, he, he goes, he turns a puck over, he goes up the next shift and scores, gets it right back. <laughs> he did. He he like I think that was the loudest national anthem I've heard him do. Like it was just he just went for it. There's a lot of um emotion behind it. Anyway, um to the game, because that was all before the game. Uh once again, DeBrusque starts out the scoring for the Bruins. Um, and I had a chance to talk to him after the game and he's you know, he said that really physically he feels fine and it's more of a mental thing to, to just like get used to being back um, in games and just because it was such a long layoff for him. And after the first the first game back, he even said it was weird to be out on the ice. Um, so I think it's more of a mental thing for him, but it has not affected him. He's been able to, to contribute uh, since he came back. Yeah, and he's doing exactly what he was doing before the injury, which is he's 
going to the net body pucks to the net. You know, it's how he scored uh Saturday, his first game back. Um, and it's how he scored on Monday. The, the opening goal is, you know, he gets the puck down low from Marshand and just takes it right to the net. And I think he knew, like, I think he knew he wasn't scoring on the, the first shot. So you're hoping either the rebound comes back to you or pops out the other side to Bergeron because he's right there as well. And it went right back to DeBrusque and he bangs at home. Um, you know, this is, it's like, this is the kind of thing we knew DeBrusque could do forever. But then, you know, in the past, at times you would go way too long without seeing it, without seeing him going hard to the net and, and scoring in close. Um, you've seen it pretty much all season and coming back from the injury doesn't look like he has any sort of hesitation or, you know, um, yeah, like he's not, he's not afraid to go there. He's not worried about, you know, am I going to get hit injured again? Whatever. He's picked right up where, where he left off and has now already scored a couple goals that way. Yeah. They're a real tenacious line with him out there. It's you see it right away. And uh, I, I think I saw, uh, I forgive me. I forget who it was, but somebody mentioned on, on Twitter uh, how many games he's played since being with Bergeron and Martian dating back to last year. And he's almost a point per game, I think, in that time or similar to it. Um, I'm not sure if it was Connor Ryan or if it was um, uh, Ty Anderson or somebody well, like that. But Yeah, I had in, in the last calendar year, uh, this was after Saturday, he's played 78 games and has 63 points. And the time frame I took, he, he ended up, he got moved up to the top line like two games after that. So... It's probably 61 points on 76 games since he first got moved up there. So, um, yeah, and I think it was 37 goals over that time. Like, basically pretty close to a 40-goal pace over a calendar year. And to your point last episode, like, there used to be this misconception that anybody could play alongside Bergeron and Marchand and, and not miss a beat. But what you mentioned last episode was, like, that's not that's not the case, as you've seen, like, in, in DeBrus' absence. So... Uh, he's he's a bona fide top six guy now. If he wasn't already before, but you know he did have some struggles, you know, for about a year and a half there. But he's he the way he hunts pucks and 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 like that goal you mentioned, he knew he wasn't scoring on that. It was just a heads up goal scorers type of play where he's like, I don't have anything to do here, so I'm just gonna put it to the net and kind of just like see if it comes back to me. And if it doesn't come back to me, I'm I'm gonna cause havoc anyway by just putting it on goal and something good could happen and. Uh, yeah, for him to come back and play with this confidence right away after being gone for five weeks is pretty impressive. And another person who factored in and made maybe one of the best passes or plays I've ever seen, McAvoy had an assist on every single goal uh, in the game. And that last one to Pasta was just absolutely insane. I had to watch it several times because I still was in disbelief that he could get that much pace on it the way that he had his stick and the way that like his body was on the ground, you can't really get much on it. Like when you don't have your lower body behind it. And it was just incredible. I don't know how he saw him. First of all, from the ground, I don't know how he made the perfect pass and got as much energy on the puck as he did. But um, yeah, he, he was a part of every single goal. In real time. I thought it was pure luck. Like I thought he was In real just time, trying to, I thought it was Greer. Oh, I, I knew it was McAvoy, but I thought he was just trying to clear it down the ice. And then you watch a replay and it's like, you know what? I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt in that. Like, I, th- I think he saw Pasternak and he was trying to get it to him. Um, yeah, that was a great assist. His assist on Pasternak's first goal was incredible as well, where it almost, he kind of briefly bobbles the pass from Pasternak, but then turns it into a fake and uses it to spin off uh, the center's player coming out to challenge him and it makes a nice pass over to Pasternak for the finish. Um, yeah, l- like you said, three assists. I mean, he's just been, he's definitely been playing the, like he's back. He's playing at an elite level for, I'd say at least a month or so. It's been, oh, it's been, I know plus minus isn't the best stat, but it's been over a month since he was a minus in a game. Uh, he's now up to 35 assists in 43 games. Like, He's looked so good. And yeah, three assists today was um, kind of a culmination of that in possibly his best game of the year. And in a game where his minutes weren't even up there, like, you know, Jim Montgomery is doing a really good job managing guys minutes and 
I think McAvoy ended up, he might not have even cracked 20 to the, uh, he got up to 22. So he got a little bit up there, but um, yeah, just great game for him and, and a continuation of a great stretch. Well, and that's, and that's the thing with this team. Like one night it's Lindholm, one night it's McAvoy. Um, you know, it's this decor is just so sound and they're very composed back there and they don't, make many mistakes they're not mistake free but they don't make many mistakes they're pretty calm cool and collected back there and um he, one of you guys mentioned uh passion actually he got his 40th and 41st goals of the season and that made him um one of five bruins in the 99 years of the franchise to have uh at least three 40 plus goal seasons uh, which is in a contract year that's pretty impressive for him right yeah and, and he's and he's there in 56 games like that you know i think back the uh the year after COVID, that shortened season, that whole season was fifty six games, and like he's at forty one now. He's only one behind Connor McDavid for the league lead, and those two have put a, a tiny bit of separation between themselves and kind of the next group. I think it's like a four or five goal drop to down to third. Um, but yeah, obviously he's well on pace to break his career high, which is forty eight. He's I think Bridget, you were doing the math, right? He's like back on basically exactly a 60 goal pace. Yeah, it was 59.9. So I just yeah. call that 60. Um, yeah, he's he's on pace for that now. And the math changed halfway through the game because he scored a second goal. So um, but yeah, he's I would not be shocked at all if he got had a 60 goal season. Um, like you mentioned, it would be his first ever 50 goal season, and anybody would be happy enough with that, but he really could do 60. Um, I would not be surprised at all. Um, and then you add playoffs into that and, you know, we're, we're, we're talking about just so many goals, um, scored for him and it was just kind of crazy. It was a, a main topic of conversation after the game. I think Scott already put up a post about it. Um, he was working hard, got that post up before Montgomery even spoke, but yeah, it's, it's huge. And it's funny that you say like the contract year thing. Cause I hadn't even like, for some reason that hadn't crossed my mind, like the background of the fact that he just can get probably whatever number he wants at this point. We already kind of knew that, but it's just in the Bruins organization's face. Like if they are haggling over half a million dollar a year, like how, how are you supposed to justify not giving him what he wants? Yeah, and Bridget, to your point, I, w- I would characterize Scott when people ask me. I, w- I call him a, a first-line talent with a fourth-liner's work ethic. So it's just like that perfect combination of of grit and skill from Scott. Um, Brad yeah, no, yeah, ex- ex- yeah, exactly. Um, so, you know, going into this game, the Senators were the only team to have a perfect record against Boston this year. And although the Bruins got the win today um, – the Senators for a team, and I know that we're not a Senators podcast, but for a team that's kind of on the rise, they could probably hang their hat on the fact that they played Boston strong this year, uh, even in, even in defeat today. Like they they gave the Bruins a good test. Yeah, and they're not totally out of the playoff race either. Like they've kind of pushed themselves at least into that discussion. That you know, there's a whole bunch of teams between them and the play, in a playoff spot. But it's like all those teams battling you know the the top three in each division in the east is set and i'd be stunned if it changes obviously you know boston toronto tampa and the atlantic carolina new jersey rangers and the metro but then like this entire group of florida pittsburgh islanders washington buffalo detroit and like ottawa's kind of right there like they're you know six or five points behind pittsburgh for the second wildcard spot so, you know, they're in it. And I think they're a team that a lot of people thought was going to be like pushing for a playoff spot this year. And they got off to such a bad start other than when they played the Bruins that you're like, oh, I guess, you know, they really miscalculated. And then it's just kind of they've slowly just started winning more and more. And now they're kind of right there. And like, but the only problem is there's only two, there's two wildcard spots up for grabs and there's seven teams yeah. that are in the mix. Yeah. So five like, of those teams that are right there aren't going to make it. It's going to make it fun to watch, like just as a fan, like taking out Bruins games, just kind of flipping around 
ESPN plus streams each night. Like it's going to be fun just to tune into whichever two of those bubble teams are playing each other on like, you know, I feel like we're going to have three or four of those head to heads like every week. So it should be a, you know, pretty fun couple months just to follow that race, especially when you remember last year, like the eight playoff teams were set by Christmas pretty much. Like there was no drama at all in terms of who was going to, who was going to make the playoffs. Yeah, it's uh, it's 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 one of the great benefits for this team right now is to have the ability to just manage your personnel and and just focus on little things here and there over, uh, about their game, and they, they don't have to tax anybody going to you know trying to push into the playoffs or you know avoid a certain matchup. Like it's it can't be overstated how how important it is to be able to have Bergeron and Krejci and, and other guys just Marsh and just have them manage and feeling as good as possible going into the uh into the playoffs um just looking ahead briefly to, not to jump jump too far ahead but um they have a pretty they have a good test i think coming up in this road trip coming uh going out west to seattle who was we saw them in boston earlier this year and, and they've kind of come back down to earth a bit but they play hard so they'll be a test um you have vancouver who's bit of a dumpster fire but i think there's always motivation for vancouver to play well against boston even though it's 11, 12 years removed from the cup finals. And then obviously you got the Oilers and the Flames. So mix in travel and, and potential, um, I guess, sluggish starts and whatnot. But what are you guys looking for out of this upcoming road trip against some some um, pretty good teams out there? Yeah, well, Seattle especially. Obviously they're a team that came into Boston and beat them. That was the Bruins' first regulation loss at home this season. So Sure, there's you know a little bit of extra motivation there. Seattle has slipped a little bit recently, but still a very good team right in the thick of it in the West. Um, yeah, yeah so that's a great test. Two and points off of first in their division, so yeah. Um, you know, Vancouver. I can't say I'm too excited. Of, you know, Bruins should take care of them, but uh, you know, Vancouver has some good players. So like, if you're not if you're off your game, they can definitely take advantage and put up a couple goals. Um, we'll see if the Bruins just bring Luke Shen back with them, you know, just pick him up while they're there. That's what I was going to ask you. I was going to say, do you think they're going to bring him to Edmonton with them for the following <laughs> game? Um, well, yeah, it, yeah. my, I, and so just to make a quick point about the, they have a, a back-to-back against Edmonton and then Calgary and Calgary is another one of those teams where we're talking about wildcard teams. Like they're one spot out of a wildcard. So you're hitting these teams that are desperate for points right now. Um, So that, that makes them a little bit more dangerous too. the fact that they're just only a few points out of a wildcard spot and trying to keep themselves in the mix. And that's going to be the second game of the back-to-back. I feel like those, that Calgary, the Calgary Edmonton trip, it feels like that's, a back-to-back more often than it's not, which is just kind of weird. Like, I I don't know why team, I guess you don't really want to spend a day off in, in Alberta, but. Um, There's some pretty national parks up there. That's true. Yeah. They could do a team trip to Banff. That would, yeah, yeah, that's what nice. I would do. Yeah. But, I'm... but yeah, I mean, like when, when those two teams are good, that's a, you know, it's a tough back-to-back for opponents. And to your point, like, Edmonton is in the playoffs right now, but not totally out of jeopardy by any means. And Calgary is right there fighting for their lives. Yeah, I'm I'm really anxious and curious to see how how the how this Bruins defense handles like McDavid and Drysaddle. I mean, they're they're I mean, per usual, they're playing at an all world clip, and McDavid's just completely on top of his game. And it's just like I. I would be surprised if Edmonton were to make it out of the West. I mean, we'll see what happens at the deadline, right? But I, I, I just, I feel like they just they're too reliant on on their their top guys, and we've seen how that's gone in the past for them. But if they have a if they have an impressive deadline and and McDavid just continues to just put them on his back and dry sidle, Edmonton's a team that the Bruins, if they take care of their conference, you could potentially see that as a matchup in the finals. I mean, I think. I don't think they're the deepest team out West, but they're certainly um, the most top heavy. Well, I, Colorado's top heavy as well, but I'm curious to see how these two teams match up. I'm curious to see if McDavid struggles against Lindholm and McAvoy and Carlo and their length and Forbert and Clifton. Like, let's just see if this Bruins defense can continue to do 
what they've done all year against the best player in the world. Yeah, for sure. And like, I'm thinking back to last year, I, I remember feeling like at least the game in Boston, the Bruins actually did a pretty good job containing McDavid and it was Dreisaitl who went off and beat them. So, you know, that's, they, they've been playing McDavid and Dreisaitl together a little bit more this year, I think, but you know, they'll still split them up at times. And so you'll probably see both, like even within the course of a game. Um, but yeah, like that's the other problem is like you can key on McDavid and potentially, you know, limit him and then Dreisaitl goes off. So uh, yeah, I agree with you though about Edmonton, like still feel like that team needs help at the deadline. It's really the same old story with them, but also, you know, Western Conference is, I, I think the East is wide open. Well, Bruins are the favorite, but the East has like five really good teams, maybe six. The West is kind of wide open because you don't really have too many truly great teams. Like you, I could see Edmonton beating just about anyone because I don't love really any team out West. I think it feels like we've just been waiting for the Avs to kind of take over and get back to Stanley cup level. And it's like, well, that's not quite the same Avs team as last year. They're not quite as deep, you know, so see what they do at the deadline. But um, yeah, the Edmonton could have a chance, especially if they do improve enough at the deadline. Yeah. Even if you just look at the points in the standings, like, Dallas and Vegas are tied for most in the Western conference and the Bruins with 72 points and the Bruins have 91 points. Like, and then in Carolina has 82 points. Like there's a difference between the, the higher caliber teams in the East and the teams in the West. But um, I want to talk about the defense because you guys were were mentioning, you know, how, how could they shut down McDavid? But I want to talk about how they played uh, today and there were a few really important small plays that guys were making. Uh, first of all, on the penalty kill, uh, some really important clears. So, some guy, uh, Carlo, this wasn't on the penalty kill, but Carlo saved the goal. Like the puck was loose in the crease and he just found it and just took it out of harm's way. Um, and Clifton had this stick lift that kind of like was kind of under the radar, but I forget who it was, was in alone, was about to lift a shot probably over Allmark's pad. And Ulmark was kind of out of position. And all of a sudden, Connor Clifton comes behind him, little stick lift, puck goes into the corner, you know, no harm there. Yeah, I, I didn't think the Senators had a ton of great chances. I thought the, you know, and Linus Ulmark even said this after the game. He said, like, we kept them to the outside pretty much. Um, yeah, it's the defensively, they have really picked it up over this past week, starting with the Dallas game um, where, you know, I think the team defense had slipped a little during that mini losing streak or the four out of five stretch around the all-star break. And now really looks back in form and at a pretty critical time, obviously leading up to the trade deadline, because they've been linked to all these defensemen and everyone kind of has that as like, Oh, that's what they should target. You know, we can still debate that because I, I do think like a fourth liner could also be worth targeting for them. Um, but yeah, like uh, whether it's consciously or maybe subconsciously, I'm sure some guys kind of hear some of that chatter and, you know, want to play their best. Like, Oh, that they're looking to add at the deadline. Like, Oh, well, I'm not going to be the one coming out of the lineup. Like I'm going to show why I deserve to keep playing every night. Really? You know, the only mistake Monday was Grizzlick's turnover that led to the Ottawa goal. I thought Grizzlick made some other good plays. He had a nice rush, a vice that included give and go with Krejci that nearly ended in a goal. It went to review, but Puck never crossed the line. Um, but yeah, like, uh, you know, and I thought Grizzlick had been playing well before that. So all these guys are trying to step up showing that you know, they've had this, these same six guys together, these same pairings together for months. And all six of them want to show like, we deserve to stay in the lineup. This is our best lineup. You, you know, there isn't an upgrade out there for you to get. So um, yeah, kind of, you know, an important stretch because the Bruins internally are evaluating every game, trying to decide like 
do we need an upgrade in this group or do we just need maybe a seventh guy to come in and, and back up these six? Yeah, I think there's no spot like there's no spot on defense besides an extra like backup depth person that would come in in case of an injury, which we know tends to happen to the Bruins defense in the playoffs or sometimes right before the playoffs and leading into the playoffs. So I feel like they there is no and, and Razor talked about this on Sunday Skate too. like there's no holes. So you're not we're not talking about like having to like you don't need a top six forward or, or, you know, you don't, you don't need a big defensive piece. So what do you do? You, you don't want to mess with the team like and how successful it's been the way, the way it is. It's more of like almost just like uh, hoarding for like in case of an emergency, like hoarding an extra defenseman, just so that you're, you're, you covered that base. And, and that, that seems like the most likely thing. Well, Scott, you made a good point. I think online about how like, the asking price for a guy like Gavrikov is is the asking price. Like, is he that much more of an upgrade over what they have on their third pair? And it's just it just doesn't seem like that. So, I mean, to your points about the Bruins' defense to a man stepping up in the last you know month or so, or, or at least since the midseason break. And look, let's face it, the team was burnt out, and they were playing some really heavy, really motivated teams against the Bruins leading into the All Star break, like. I think we all kind of saw a few losses coming there, no big deal. But like Connor Clifton's done nothing to play himself out of this lineup. Derek Forbert has done nothing to play himself out of this lineup as a regular. In fact, I would make the argument that they have played so well that you really have to like, I don't know, why, like why do I want this guy Gavrikov to come in and just replace one of them? I don't, I don't know a ton about him. I'm sure he's good. I'm sure he's decent. But is he that much of an upgrade over any one of those guys at the price that he'll be? Um, he'll he'll be needed to be acquired. I don't know, so I guess it's interesting to see how the next few weeks play out. I really don't know. It feels yeah, unnecessary. Then, yeah, and then like you know, one of the response most common responses I got um, on Twitter when I made that thread about you know would Gavrikov really be worth it was oh he'll be an upgrade over Grizzly like you can't count on Grizzly in the playoffs and it's like I I understand the concerns about Grizzly. Grizzlick's health in playoffs past, but just like on a, a raw player to player comparison, like Vladislav Gavrikov isn't as good as Matt Grizzlick. Um, Grizzlick has been the Bruins. He, he has the best five on five goal differential of any Bruins defenseman this season. They score goals and they don't give up goals when he's on the ice like that. I don't know what else you're looking for. He's literally um, a top pair. He's a top pair def- defenseman for you. And yeah, we're talking and, about adding a third pair defenseman. You know, I think like the one argument maybe for a guy like Gavrikov would be that he also plays big penalty kill minutes and Grizzlick obviously doesn't play on either special teams unit. Um, Gavrikov could eat minutes there that then, you know, either Lindholm or McAvoy wouldn't have to. So like I could kind of see that argument, but yeah, I mean, what are you going to do at, five on five though if you bring if Gavrikov goes in over Grizzly either you're putting him with McAvoy which is a risk because then you're hoping that he's able to play on that kind of a pairing which um, Forbert wasn't like that wasn't a good fit right when they brought him in thinking that they could plug him in there yeah and, the, and like there are some I think Gavrikov has a little more offense to his game than Forbert but like there are some similarities there. You take that also back. Get... Take that back. <laughs> Nobody has more offensive upside than forward. What are you talking about, Scott? Well, yeah, to the, to the point about the kind of player you're adding, and we've talked about that. This has been a topic since before the season started, before the preseason started. When they hired Jim Montgomery, it was like, we want him to, like, we brought him in to help the defense get involved in the offense. And you have a pairing with Grizzlick and McAvoy that has like this optimal ability to do that and work in that system and hop into the offense. And when you're switching out a guy that we already know can bring that uh, for someone that you're like, okay, this, this might slow down that pairing or at least limit the offensive potential for that pairing. There's just, in my mind, first of all, you're, you're giving away 
draft picks or you're giving away a player from your current roster when it's not even there's no need to at all so it just seems like there's double the downside you're giving away draft capital and if you're the Bruins you probably don't want to move someone off your active roster it's a risk to move someone off your so just like doubly doesn't make sense to me yeah and when Grizzik's in the lineup you if you load up your top pairing with Lindholm McAvoy you know matchup dependent or just game situation whatever we know Grizzly also works with Carlo they've played together a lot in the past I would be a little worried about a Gavrikov Carlo pairing that's that'd be two guys who aren't great with the puck on their sticks and aren't really puck movers aren't like getting aren't great getting involved in the rush so you know like there would definitely be concerns there um how about a Gavrikov Forbert pairing I mean, it's like a third parent that can just take a beating in the D zone and kind of keep teams to the outside. But again, it's like Forbert Clifton works and, and does yeah. that. So like, what what do you really need to change that for? You know, I, I would love Gavrikov to come in as like your seventh D and just compete for ice time. Like he, he he's a good player. Like I, I don't hate Gavrikov as a player. I just hate the idea of giving up a first round pick for him when I'm not convinced that he would really be a huge difference maker for you can you imagine giving up a first round pick for a guy that ends up like being your seventh defenseman because you're like say say clifton forbert grizzly whatever all six of the guys they currently have are playing so well that you cannot justify taking them out of the lineup which is likely you just gave up a first round draft pick for your seventh defenseman who might not get much or any playing time unless somebody gets hurt like you're you're looking for a backup plan. You're not looking for a guy like if I was Gabrikov too, I probably wouldn't want to come to, to the Bruins um, unless there was another defenseman getting out of town, because why would you want to come to a team where you're just like, okay, I was clearly good enough that they, that I deserved such a high draft pick in return, but now I'm sitting. The fit, Yeah. Sorry, Scott. Go ahead. I, I was just gonna say, especially cause he's an unrestricted free agent after the season. Like, this is a guy who wants to play in, in a playoff lineup, you know, one for a chance to win, but two to boost his own value, which he's not going to do if he's not playing every night. Yeah. It's for me, like the fit just, it just doesn't, it doesn't match what the asking price would be. Like if, if, if you're talking about a decor that like your third pair was Clifton and Mike Riley and not Clifton and Forbert. Okay. That would make more sense because you, you want a guy like that, but you already have a guy like that in Forber. And while on the same token, like the more depth, the merrier, I get that. But for me, it's just about the asking price. Like Bridget was exactly correct. It's like, what are you going to do? Spend a first round pick for a guy who's possibly in your top six, in your top 60. It's or it could be a seventh. Like that just makes no sense to me, you know? So it's, it's, it's strange. You should be only having to give up like a mid round draft pick to add a depth piece. Like if you're considering giving up, more than that, you're probably making the wrong move. I don't know what the asking price for somebody like Shen was, but um, you're making too big a move, basically, if, if your goal is to add depth and you're you're looking at a first-round draft pick. It's just – it doesn't make it's sense. Gotta be, it's got to be a top-four defenseman if you're giving up a first-rounder. I mean, it, it, bar none for me. It has to yeah, be Lindholm. Four. Like Lindholm. So, yeah, top-four, if not top-two, you know, or top-pair defenseman. Um Guys, the uh, I, I wanted to get your opinion before uh, we wrap up. Is uh, the East gets richer? Uh, so Tarasenko goes to the Rangers, um, and, and uh, the other night the Toronto, Toronto Maple Leafs added 2019 Bruins killer Ryan O'Reilly to to their forward depth. Now I made a comment last time we spoke about how the Maple Leafs could add Wayne Gretzky up front. I felt they need help on defense. But Ryan O'Reilly is a splendid two-way player. Um, I don't know if he's at the level he was in 2019. I don't think he is. Spoiler. But he's certainly a good addition. And also old friend Noel Achari, who Achari, who we all know works his ass off every shift as well. So two, I think two pretty good ads for Toronto. Yeah, definitely. The Leafs, at the very least, needed to upgrade their bottom six because they've had a lot of rotation, a lot of guys – in and out, not super effective. Um, obviously, Achari is a really nice fourth line piece for them. 
but O'Reilly's the big get, and they can use him really any number of ways. Like he could be their third line center, and now they immediately have one of the best number three centers in the league. They could use him on the wing. He's played a little bit of wing in the past. Um, his his first game with them, they had him as second line center and actually bumped John Tavares over to the wing, which you know that's pretty terrifying as well. So uh, yeah, Leafs definitely got better. Um, you know, I've, I've said before, like, I like their decor that the guy I maybe like the least is, you know, the one making the most money, Morgan Riley, because I just don't think he's very good defensively, but the rest of that decor I like, um, they could definitely have issues if someone goes down. Uh, you know, I think like the Bruins are probably still looking for some depth back there. Um, still have questions about their goaltending for sure, but they got better and, you know, just like waiting things out or not doing something big isn't an option for them. Like they, it doesn't matter that the Bruins and lightning are in their way. Like they have to win a playoff round at least one. Like they have to, it's because at some point, you know, Kyle Dubas GM there, who I think has done a mostly pretty good job for them. But if this streak carries on, like ownership's not going to care, you know, Hey, hey, we have to go through the Bruins and Lightning, two really good teams. Nope, you didn't get out of the first round. Like, now you're out of a job, too. So, uh, yeah, they had to make a move like this, and they did. I, you know, would certainly still take the Bruins roster on paper, but they, they helped. And I would maybe even still take the Lightning in that series. Um, but they definitely closed the gap for sure. Yeah. And I, I wonder if they're done. Like, I feel like they're probably like, I don't know. They might add, like you said, a depth defenseman. They could be in the same market the Bruins are in that category. Um, but at least if you're the Bruins and you're the other teams, you can kind of know that that was their big move and that you're only going to be expecting maybe something small or nothing at all from them the rest of the way. And you kind of have an idea of who they are, like their identity is now. And no no doubt adding O'Reilly, it, it almost felt like a – specific stab at the Bruins like this is we need a team that can beat the Bruins who can we add that we know can beat the Bruins and then they go out and they get this guy who um kind of he'll never be um Boston will never forget him uh it it doesn't matter just the way that that series ended up um in 2019 so it felt specific first of all they brought Nolachari who was a Bruin and then O'Reilly um it was kind of like shots fired in a way. Yeah. And, you know, in a potential playoff, like just thinking ahead to potential second round matchup, if O'Reilly does end up in like as third line center and, you know, instead of playing the second line where he started, it's like that could become a matchup line that at least on home ice, they try to get against Bergeron and free up Austin Matthews more because, you know, in the past, both regular season and playoffs, we've seen, Bergeron versus Matthews a lot. And that's, um, you know, they can both, both have won that matchup at times, but that's certainly, uh, you know, been a tough matchup for Austin Matthews. All right. Any, anything else you guys want to touch on before we sign off? Uh, I I think so. We had the Sunday skate show between now and uh, Saturday's game, but we haven't done a podcast since then. So just, just was going to mention that the six, two win over the Islanders, uh, an awesome game for the bottom six, you know, four, four of their goals, all at five on five came from the third or fourth lines. Now, one of them was Zaka, but it was a shift with the third line. I think, I don't know, penalties had thrown something off, but, um, but yeah, you know, you, you just see that depth, you know, another area that we just hadn't really touched on much of this podcast, but Monday afternoon, it's the stars who take over and, um, get your scoring, but Saturday was the depth. It was the third and fourth lines. And, you know, especially the, the Greer Frederick Felino fourth line is, uh, looked really good. And they had a couple in that game. So, um, yeah, I just wanted to kind of give them some love since we didn't really get a chance to cover that. Yeah. And, and today they had, they, they were less noticeable, but in that last game against the Islanders, Felino was a plus four and yeah. Frederick, Frederick had, two goals and that line was just effective and noticeable. Um, and it's, it was nice to see Frederick too, 
getting involved the way that he was and and you kind of see things going right for him uh but yeah you mentioned three goals for the for the fourth line um and you also got balance scoring because you got DeBrusque and Bergeron goals too and um Zaka so overall the Bruins offense was was just clicking um pretty well in that game in general but to go back to to your point about you know the bottom six that if they can do that in the playoffs then nobody can beat them like if if you're you can have a third line that scores three goals in a playoff game that's that you're winning that matchup well yeah and and on the point of the third line they didn't score monday but i thought taylor hall created quite a few chances he had a couple you know one was to Berger on the doorstep like just misconnecting um he had another setup to i think it was craig smith in the slot on a nice play where he kind of just held the puck for a little bit and waited for a passing lane to open up. So, uh, you know, I, I think Taylor Hall has been playing better recently and, and really does seem to be com- more comfortable on the, on that third line with coil. And, you know, the last couple of games, it's been Craig Smith on their right. Who's playing, you know, I think he's been playing pretty well. He had a goal in the last game he played on the top line and has continued to have some chances on the third line. So, uh, yeah, to your point, like that's, you know, and they're still missing Nosek, who we think will probably just go right back as to his fourth line center role. And Frederick probably moves up to third line right wing again. But yeah, they're definitely giving themselves some options. Like if Craig Smith can actually, you know, be an effective bottom six player every night, then that's something that, you know, I think he really struggled with earlier this season. If Frederick can play center, that's another option that you have, and he's done pretty well there. So, um, yeah. I think Frederick has shown his versatility over the past few games because he was a center in college, and you almost see that he has more of a natural fit sometimes when he's playing at center. Um, I feel like he has a little bit more freedom to be the guy on that line. So he – probably thinks the game a little bit differently when he knows like, okay, I'm, I'm alongside Greer and Felino. It's not like I'm alongside Pasternak or like even on that line with Taylor Hall, it's like Taylor Hall is kind of the guy like that you would think to, to want to get the puck to, to shoot on that third line. So, but when you put Frederick away from those, those kind of players, he has a little bit more freedom to, play a little bit more creatively, maybe look for more chances for himself. And um, I think he's played well as a center. Um, They have a lot of versatile guys that like you think of Zaka, like you can throw in the center if you need to. Um, And it's worked for them. And it, but I also want to make a point about the third line, which is that Taylor Hall did have a good game Monday was using his strength, getting, getting to the net, was was in the right place a lot. I noticed him out in front of the net, um, in the right place a few times on rebounds, and um, he he looked good. But more than anything, Charlie Coyle like impresses me every game with the way he plays defensively and the way he kills penalties. Like he is their best penalty killing forward on the team. He just he could steal a puck and he's not even going to clear it. He's just going to just like waste 10 seconds, 15 seconds, skate it around, do, do his thing. He picks off passes. He's, he's just so smart as a penalty killer that his value to me, um, like you, you see it there. It's very obvious. Yeah. He had one great back check in particular that where he's coming back and picks off a pass into the slot and doesn't just like, whack it away to the corner, which would be a perfectly fine play in that situation, but actually just like straight up intercepts the pass, controls it and starts to rush the other way. Um, yeah. He seems to be playing with a lot of confidence and why not given the season he's had. And uh, again, like the, those bottom six guys, you know, I mentioned it with the defensemen, but those guys all know the trade deadlines coming up. Like they know, Hey, if this team's adding depth, that's, you know, potentially at the expense of my job, you know, especially if you're a Craig Smith or an AJ Greer. So it's like, they all want to prove that they should stay right where they are. And that like, you know, the Bruins best lineup has them in it, has them playing where, where they are. Like, you know, cause there'd even been talk of like, you know, like 
Bruins with the Bruins being on someone like an O'Reilly or Jonathan Taves, who's now not available because he's dealing with long COVID and he and the Blackhawks have agreed that he's not getting traded. Um, but it's like, if you're Charlie Coyle, you know, you kind of get wind of that. It's like, well, those guys would be coming in to be third line center. That's my job. So, you know, again, it's just, it's guys stepping up and, and if Don Sweeney is going to try to upgrade from any of them, like you better be really sure that, that it's an upgrade because a lot of these guys are showing that like, you don't need to upgrade from me. You know, I'm, I'm doing my job and I'm doing it pretty damn well. Yeah. And, and also if you just think about purely the role that he plays, like I, I don't know the answer to this, but like, does Jonathan Taze kill a lot of penalties? Like I feel yeah, like he, 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 he does. I mean, he can, like, he's a good, but are you, are you happier with how he fills that role than how Coyle would like it's, it's, it's hard to say. Um, and there is going to be someone who comes out of the lineup when no stick comes back. Um, so it tended to be Greer, but it could, you know, it, it could change. And, and I wonder too, no six health, like how it will hold up. Cause he, we've seen him come back. We've seen him then, then be out of the lineup for an extended period of time. So, and I remember saying this at the beginning of the season, which was that I wasn't completely sold that, you know, he was the best option as a fourth line center. Now he does exactly his role that he's supposed to, but in my mind, he's not an untouchable guy to, to stay out of the lineup either. Yeah. By the way, we should just tell listeners, Brian had to duck out early. So that's why you haven't heard him in a few minutes. We were, we were initially just going to like quickly wrap up and now it's turned into another five, yep. six minutes. So. Brian left us. He had a dinner date. So good luck to you, Brian. Let us know how it goes. But um, yeah. Brian, Brian had to get to uh, his President's Day party. He's big. <laughs> Big into celebrating the presidents. Oh yeah, everybody is right. Um, no, so I I do think that we kind of covered the rest of what we wanted to talk about, though. Um, and and I did, if if people missed it, I did post our Sunday skate on the podcast channel. So if you want to listen to some of the stuff that we covered with Razor, like a lot of goalie talk, um, you can go back and find that. That's the previous episode um, where he talked about, you know in depth about the goalie rotation, maybe the goalie rotation in the playoffs and also how dumb it is. If you think that they should trade Jeremy Swayman and all the reasons not to do it. So if you want to listen to the goalie stuff, which we didn't get to cover here, Razor um, and Scott did that on Sunday. Yeah. And the, the goalie rotation thing, like that's something that was kind of kept coming to mind a few times. And, you know, I might revisit it like as the season goes on, if, both goalies continue to play really well. But on that note, like it is worth noting that they broke the rotation on Monday. Allmark got a second straight start, um, which I think as long as they believe Allmark is the number one in the game one starter, which he's having a Vezina trophy caliber season. So like, obviously he should be considered that right now. Um, I do think their plan is to try to work in, at least a couple back-to-backs here and there where it makes sense. So this was a good situation for it where, um, you know, you have a few days off after this, you're getting out on the road after. So uh, he got a second straight start and, of course, gets another win. Yeah, and do you think they'll go with him in Seattle? Now they have two days off. Seattle's is a tougher matchup than Vancouver. So do you think they go all mark against Seattle, Swayman against Vancouver? Yeah, that'll be interesting because – also, you know, two days off in between. Um, certainly, Allmark should be rested enough if they want to go with him against Seattle. But I also, you know, as great as Swayman has been playing, like, I don't really think you want to give him over a week off. And if he's not starting until sat, his last start was on Thursday, so he's going to go until Saturday before his next start. Like, I, it's, it's a great problem to have. You know, I get why they want to, mix in some more all mark starts because you don't want to like get to the playoffs and have him not having played two or three games in a row for months. Um, but at the same time, like you don't want to risk, you know, Swayman cooling off because he's just sitting on the bench for a week. Yeah. It would be eight, eight games, right. Uh, from the last time he played, if, if they waited, if eight days, sorry, not eight games, eight days. Um, 
if he played in Vancouver rather than Seattle. So yeah, that's that's interesting to to keep an eye on and might give an indication if um it is Allmark for a third straight night. Like maybe they're trying to see um more of the playoff picture in net for them and, and what kind of rotation they want. Um and then obviously they'll split the starts on the back to back towards the end of the road trip with um Edmonton and Calgary. They're 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 gonna split that obviously. Um so yeah uh anything else now we we covered everything we got we got goalies we got bottom six we got everything we even talked about no sick who didn't even play yeah no i think i think we're all good so what you know we'll probably have another episode later this week Uh, you know we'll figure it out maybe friday where i can tell you we are not staying up till 2 a.m to record after the seattle game so uh it won't be there first thing friday morning um but yeah, we'll have yeah. another episode and then Sunday skate again uh, after the Vancouver game. Um, yeah, if you listen yeah, to the yeah. podcast, definitely tune in to Sunday skate. Like it's our last week was our first show. And so like we're hoping people now are like ramping up like they know it's on. Uh, you know, we have some people that we know are listeners to the podcast that called into the show. Um, you can literally ask Maria. us a question. Yeah, Maria from Watertown. Um, you could call in, ask us a question. Um, so do that. Listen. Is it I think it's every it's it's consistently gonna be ten to I mean um ten to eleven every Sunday, yeah. right? Yeah. Okay. So you also and, can talk to Razor. And if if the Bruins make a trade, then we'll do a reaction podcast. But still still waiting. We'll see if anything happens this week. Yep. So yeah, I think record Friday morning before I drive to Yale. While I still have a voice, I have five. Yeah, I have, I have five playoff, hockey playoff hockey coming up. I have f- potentially five hockey broadcasts this weekend, and I'm going to have no voice, so it's I'm worried about it. Yeah, that's that's a lot. <laughs> that's... Yeah, I'm going to be at the rink the entire day. Two double headers: a double header Friday and Saturday, women's game, then men's game, and then potentially a third game for the women if they split the first two in the first round of the ECAC playoffs. So yeah, I am going to, I'm not going to be able to podcast after that guy. So I'll have to do it before. <laughs> well, uh, we'll make sure you can serve energy Friday, Friday morning. Yeah. We, we yeah. won't, we won't overwork you. We'll, we'll keep your minutes down. <laughs> okay. Thanks. Good. All right. So that does it for this episode of the skate pod. Thank you for listening and look for the next episode Friday. <laughs> Thank you.